The Essence of Tea, episode 63. Welcome. You are listening to the Essence of Tea podcast, where we share about the world of tea with you. From tea tastings to tea history and culture to tea education, health, and wellness, the Essence of Tea is your tea companion through your personal transformation and growth. I'm your host, Jenny Jie. Now let's get started. Hello, welcome to another fabulous episode about the world of tea. I'm so glad you could join me here today as I'll be sharing with you about Alaskan fireweed honey. So many of you love a nice cup of tea, but I know that some of you also love your honey too. And in Alaska, we are famous for our Alaskan fireweed honey. But there is some misconceptions of what fireweed honey is. First of all, fireweed honey, and when we talk about it as a singular plant being pollinated to create the honey, we're talking about honey that is pure, that has no additives in it, as in this liquid honey would be um, just made by the bees, and that the bees mostly pollinate out um, off of fireweed flowers when we talk about Alaskan fireweed honey. We're not talking about adding any fireweed flowers to the honey, cooking it down, steeping the flowers inside the honey. It's not an infusion. It's pure, raw honey that's been mostly pollinated off of fireweed flowers. And when I say mostly, it is very hard, very hard to tell the whole army of bees, hey, no, no, don't don't touch that dandelion. Mm -mm, No, we're not over there. Because really, when you think of wild botanicals, there is going to be its own way that nature is going to grow these flowers. Now, when we say that it's Alaskan fireweed honey, it means that in a huge, many, many acre field of fireweed flowers, the beehives have been set inside that whole bundle of the fireweed field. So there's wild fireweed flowers, wild. They're not cultivated here in Alaska. They're set inside this field of fireweed flowers. But fireweed can grow as early as middle of June all the way until the snow falls. There's a long season of when fireweed flowers grow, when they first start to bud up, when they are at their peak and they're their dark fuchsia color to their pale spent, you know, last of its essence, end of the summer, right before they burst into these cotton blooms of seeds all over the state. Now, the state of Alaska is pretty large. From east to west, it is 2,400 miles, just from east to west. And from north to south, it's about 1,420, so 1,420 miles north to south. Now, where we live in Fairbanks, Alaska, we are in the interior. We're in that middle. So from south of Alaska, from the Gulf of Alaska up to the interior, that's about 700 miles. 700 miles of difference from just from the middle of the state all the way to the south coastal part of the state. Now, that is huge. We are the largest state in the United States and we grow fireweed from the Brooks Range all the way down south. So it is easily over 
800 miles of coverage of fireweed flowers. And what that means for those of you who are into horticulture or agriculture is there's a huge variety. There's a huge variety of the the um, varietal of the fireweed flower to um, how dense or the color is going to be. The terroir. So in in terms of the tea industry, in terms of the wine industry, the terroir, the elevation, the humidity, the air of where these fireweed flowers grow are going to be drastically different. So that also means any beekeepers who are putting their hives in these bundles, in these fields of wild grown fireweed flowers are going to change. There is at least a 800 mile difference just from north to south. So with that also means the color of the honey and slightly the difference of the Alaskan fireweed honey. Now fireweed also grows in Canada. Fireweed grows in northern parts of the continental United States. And when I say continental, I mean the continuous states that connect like Michigan, Maine, places like that, um, Washington state. They have fireweed flowers that grow wild. It is a plant that's called fireweed because usually it is one of the very first plants that will grow into this disturbed soil when there is a fire. It will easily take root into disturbed soil. So soil that's been cleared by you know um, equipment for clearing the land, for building something. A fire has gone through anything that has this loose disturbed soil, rocky soil. And with that rocky soil, when the root system of the fireweed flowers start to um, put itself into that area, it creates a more stable foundation and soil for other plants to grow and thrive. And then you start to see the forest and the fields and the plants diversity year over year start to return to normal, start to have more grasses, more more um, different wild flowers over the years. So fireweed is a really important plant to be coming up right after something has disturbed the land. And it's great because it makes the ground more stable so trees can start growing again, so grasses can start growing again. So fireweed is great in that way. And when there's a devastating fire, well, it really helps with our fireweed honey production because the first plant to come up will be these dense fields of fireweed. But again, from north to south, you're gonna have a huge range difference of what the fireweed honey is going to look like. So I have some examples here for some of you who are kind of wondering, you know, maybe you've seen on television or reality TV, one person's fireweed honey looks almost clear like water and others like ours might be darker. And what does that mean necessarily? It does not mean it's a lie. First of all, you always have to taste the honey. And fireweed honey is considered the champagne of honeys. What it means is it has a high nectar production. It is very light, very, very sweet. In Alaska, it's usually one of the super premium honeys. What does that mean? Okay, super premium honey means it has low water content in it. Low water content also means your honey is going to crystallize extremely easily. So this is a late season 
fireweed honey. And this late season fireweed honey is very white, very clear, very translucent, other than all the crystals, right? Because it has low water content in it, which means the crystallization of the sugars happen much more quickly. And so in Alaska, we struggle with crystallized honey that's going to become very rock hard. And as it crystallizes, it, it, it becomes more of a white, non-translucent honey. Where this one, you can see the translucency and this was a pale honey. This is a very late season honey because it's when the flowers are more spent. And our honey here at Sipping Streams Tea Company is not filtered. So this is the same honey too. But do you see the difference? Or actually, do you see the difference of um, this darker honey, which will be earlier in the fireweed season, and this lighter pale color will be the later season honey? Because the first fruits are always more dense in nutrients. They will be way more potent in its health benefits, but it will also be a more potent flavor, almost like a molasses flavor. And all that means is it's very dense in its flavor. Just like making a cup of tea, you might steep your tea really long and it becomes more concentrated, stronger tasting, but it does not mean that if you made the proper tea or you diluted it, that it's not the same flavors in there. It's just the compact feeling on your taste buds that will be different. So our raw, unfiltered fireweed honey it's just spun off the comb and then it's literally just jarred. So sometimes it will look in different colors slightly because of the seasonality and because of the location of the latitude of where this honey was produced because those fireweed flowers vary because of their terroir. So for those of you who know the tea industry very well, you understand terroir affects even the season to season of Dragonwell green tea, or also called Longjing green tea. Even though it's all from one area, the taste will be a little bit different. Even though it's all Dragonwell green tea, the same bushes of the tea plants, but if it was a monsoon season, if it was a dry season, if it was a spring season, it will taste a little different. And even if the tea master made every single one of those batches by hand, those seasons, months, that week, what was happening with that climate will change, right? And sometimes, you know, for those tea connoisseurs out there, the liqueur will even change. So you're having to deal with the factor of bees flying all over the place, but that's why we put the hives in these dense fields of fireweed flowers. Then there are different varietals of fireweed. There's the main um, tall fireweed flowers that you know can be as tall as a moose. And I say tall as a moose because I am from Alaska and I have been picking fireweed because we make a fireweed tea that has fireweed flowers in it. And I noticed all the tops were picked off of it and it was over six feet tall. And that's when I realized there was a moose out in that very tall, dense field with me. And I was very afraid in case I accidentally ran into a wild moose um, that would possibly want to stampede and trample over me. But anyways, or you could go up to very northern high altitudes. And when I say northern, I mean high altitudes, a mountain, right? 
For those of you from Alaska, Hatcher Pass has great valleys and mountains, and you can hike up these hills and go to much higher altitude, and you'll see there's fireweed flowers, but it's a different varietal. Some people call it dwarf fireweed. Some people call it um, river beauty. So also the varietal of the fireweed flower will depend on what is going to happen to the final appearance and the flavor of the honey. Because if you're a very, very specific honey connoisseur, say you're a professional honey taster for a huge corporation for Nestle or something like that, you're a doctor in bees. You know exactly what I'm talking about. So factors for those of you who are in specialty food industries, you know that seasonality, the terroir, the climate, the location, all that's going to change the way you see it. Not even including the processing. So some people, or a lot of people, like to process their fireweed honey to make it ultra clear, ultra bright, shiny, like almost like water, like a golden water, but is like pale like sunlight. And you know exactly what I mean. So that pale stream of sunlight, very watery looking um, honey is, can be filtered to also look like that. And ours isn't filtered. So like I said, this late season fireweed honey is very pale because when you look at the late season fireweed flowers, they are pale. They're almost white. They're almost spent. The last of their essence is just leaving, leaving the earth ready to regenerate into seeds and to burst like cotton pods all over the all over the state where you have a early season honey fireweed honey and it's going to be a lot more um dense in its nutrients it's going to be its first fruits it's going to be the result of its first fruits when the bees are pollinating off of it and then you'll start to notice sometimes your fireweed honey starts to change color into a more whiter color. And that whiter color is less translucent. That less translucent color is showing you the crystallization process. And as soon as it starts to drop, to drop below 90 degrees, it is going to start to crystallize. Fireweed honey is one of those honeys, unless it's pasteurized and cooked, if it's raw fireweed honey, it's going to be um, crystallized extremely easily at less than 90 degrees. And if it keeps dropping to 80 degrees, it will start to crystallize. So what do you do with this crystallized honey? Well, first of all, it's probably a good thing that it crystallizes so easily because you know it has less water content. It hasn't been diluted. So it has a high nectar um, potency in that honey, which means it is less watery. And so it's actually desired to have more of a pure honey. Like we, you can even go to Africa. If you go into different really hot climates of Africa and you go to the street markets there, they will sell clumps of rock hard honey. And you know what? That's just how it is produced off of their um, beehives that are down in their country. If you try to sell them liquid honey in these markets, they will literally think that you tried to cheat them because the way that their bees and their plants are has a super high rich content that doesn't have much water in it. And they don't want a honey that looks watery or liquidy. 
in many parts of Africa because it means that you have actually watered it down. So when you're thinking about the bees' production of it, like how much water are they pulling into it and, and kind of essentially diluting it. So what can you do about your raw Alaskan fireweed honey that has started to crystallize? One place to put it is maybe on top of your refrigerator and there's like that compressor area and it feels warm and just to keep your honey up there. Some of you have like a place by your stove. Maybe you have a propane stove and you're always cooking there and you can keep the bottle of honey near there so it always is kind of in this warm area. One other hack that I've been recently doing is that I put the honey near um, a heating pad, an electric heating pad on low. And this is something you do have to watch out for because it can get too hot and it can burn the honey and it can melt your bottle too. But if you're wanting it to be warmed up, but not ultra heated, right? Not You don't want to zap the enzymes. You want to keep the goodness and the riches of that rawness of the raw enzymes in that honey. You do not want to microwave it. Some people put it in warm water and just the outside of it will decrystallize. But if you use an electric heating pad and keep it on low for just like a couple hours, you'll start to see that the outside will... Um, become more liquidy again. You just don't want to burn the honey. And if you burn the honey and you get it too hot, it's almost like you've candied or carameled the honey, which has the sugars in it. First of all, you've killed the enzymes because you've heated it past 120 degrees. And then also it's going to get harder faster because if you make caramel, right, which is just sugar and heat it up with some butter, it candies itself. It gets harder faster. So some things to realize is to keep it at a very consistent warm temperature. If you're down in the lower 48 and it's consistently 90 degrees, awesome. Keep your honey outside, you know, there somewhere, wherever is hot. I don't know. I'm in Alaska and it's 40 below right now. So we don't have that option. Another thing is that is to keep it by the stove where you're always cooking or keep it somewhere that's going to be consistently warm in your house. Don't put it in the window. Don't put it on a shelf in your kitchen that always has a draft and is cold. So remember, honey, fireweed honey, pure raw fireweed honey is not always clear crystal white. It really depends on the latitude of where that honey was made, the season or the week, the month, the terroir. Um, it depends on the varietal of the fireweed flowers. And um, those same principles go into the tea industry. And for those of you who just love tea, those seasonalities, those things about it will really um, factor in the way you experience tea also. So, Try the fireweed honey on its own without adding it to tea. And then when you choose to put it in your tea, try it without the honey. Just try the tea itself. So try the honey on its own, try the tea on its own, and then try to pair the two and see how it accentuates your experience. If you're interested in learning more about tea, I'm doing an absolutely free five-day mini workshop online. It's a virtual workshop. January 2nd through the 6th. It's absolutely free. I will be doing it live every morning, a live session. It's called the Immune Boosting Tea Workshop. So this is perfect for those of you who are interested in learning more about the health benefits of tea. For those of you who want to know 
um, how to use tea to improve your wellness and your lifestyle. And there are replays to watch it, but you do need to register to get access to the live recordings and the replays. So go to universa-t.com and sign up for the Immune Boosting Tea Workshop. This live workshop will be happening January 2nd through the 6th, and the replays will be available for you to watch during your own schedule up until January 10th. So make sure you look at that link. So universa-t.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to check us out online on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. You can watch us film this podcast live, ask your questions, and maybe win some cool prizes. Don't forget to follow, like, and subscribe to Sipping Streams on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram.